I, we're going to start out with a, with a video clip, and, and so it'll help, I hope. Now, write and say these words in which... Oh, um, class, uh, Catherine, can you take over for me, please? Thank you. E is the fifth letter of the alphabet. Yes, can I help you? I have a problem. Mr. Campbell, I need to go real bad. First day? Yes. I'll take care of her. Thank you. You know, kindergarten is like the ocean. You don't want to turn your back on it. Oh, they're okay. Don't worry. Everything is under control. No. Monsters! What are you doing with this? Aren't you gonna break it up? No, two more days of this, and you'll quit. Shut up! Shut up! Shut up! Shut up! No. Don't start this. Oh, no. We get our lead-in from Pastor Arnold. I want to read this scripture, Matthew 19. 13 and 14. The little children were brought to him that he might put his hands on them and pray, but the disciples rebuked them. And Jesus said, Let the little children come to me, and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. I've been talking about the kingdom of heaven. How do you get into it? What does it look like? How does it function? How do I function in it? How does it function in me? This was Jesus' ministry. It was, it was the bulk of his sermons was talking about this kingdom that had come with him, that a superior force had entered, a, a, a superior reign had entered the world. Whatever the systems had been from the powers of darkness right down to the powers of Rome to the powers of of uh, the Jewish church to the powers of, of uh, other religions and systems, economic and otherwise, all these systems that have made the world work, Jesus kept saying that a superior system has arrived. There's a better kingdom and you can live into it. You can, you can move into it. You can live in it. And, and it's kind of a, 
it's, it's, it's been kind of a mystery. Jesus spoke of it all the time, and he, he modeled it for his disciples, and he modeled it for everyone else, but it was still a bit of a mystery. And then, you know, Jesus, who is constantly basically telling his disciples, grow up, turns around and tells them, you have to be like a child to get into this thing. You have to be like a child, he says in, in a couple of places, to sustain it. Remember the sermon a few weeks ago of the tension? The tension that we're held in? Well, I was thinking about this as we're, we're reading the book, um, now the Kingdom Fellowship book. Is that the one we're on? Yes, Kingdom Fellowship. Remember the name. And, and we're, we're talking about what does it look like when the kingdom is in a collective as it is supposed to be. Talked about the church. Is the church the kingdom? Is the kingdom the church? And, you know, talk about how those things are not synonymous, but yet the, the church is supposed to be the primary purveyor. We're the ones that are, are supposed to be giving the most accurate account, the most accurate delivery of what God is attempting to reestablish on this earth. And we find ourselves held in this tension all the time between that, the next world where everything is going to be done perfectly according to his will and this world now where there's still challenge, what Paul would call later this, this present evil age, <laughs> that we live in this age, but we bring the kingdom of heaven into it. it it's, as Jesus said, it's within you. And, and we, we walk in it, and, and there, there's this tension. And now, here's this new tension that Jesus throws in. And it says, in order for this to be effective for you, you have to become like a child, a child in relationship, a child in approach, a child in attitude. And so I, some weeks ago, I, I just, I was reading these scriptures, and I, and I was just, I made a list. Now, I haven't, I'm not going to use my whole list this morning. But of, of what does it mean? What is it possibly that Jesus was saying? And you could hear all kinds of things around this scripture. But I, I want to maybe take us back a little bit through a child's eyes. And I want to say, before we do that, that there was something really weird began to, to, um, to sort of rise in my understanding. Because as I made this list, I realized that the things that kind of defined uh, a, a child's approach, a child-likeness. And does everyone understand the difference between, between being childish and childlike? Okay. Does, every, does everyone understand that children are both childlike and childish? <laughs> and, and we want to argue about being childlike. You know, that's what Jesus was saying, be childlike. But I'm here to tell you, like, like Pastor Arnold, that sometimes people are childish. We are. Every one of us, we, we get childish at times. And, and even in the childishness, God finds provision for us. And he speaks to us. The thing that I started to notice was the very things that I had written on my list that were kind of the marks of being childlike were also the marks of being a mature follower of Jesus. Oh, whoa, I didn't notice that before. These are the things I want in my life. I just had never attached them to being childlike. I just attached them to growing up. You know, you grow up and you get a better take. So let's, let's just take a look. Let's go. I'm not going to spend too much time on some of these. You can work them out yourself. The first one, and the through the child eyes, is a child is dependent. There is a dependence. It's the mark of an infant. You know, they are totally and completely 
dependent on, on us. And it is the true status of every believer. I was thinking about the Lord's Prayer this morning. I actually said the Lord's Prayer this morning. In my, in my early morning devotion, my thinking, I do it almost every morning. That's part of my world. And I, I realized this is a prayer of dependence. Absolute dependence. That's what Jesus was teaching those that are. He says, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father. That automatically puts me in a place of dependence, doesn't it? That's a father, if things are right, is that primary provider of safety, comfort, sustenance, protection. We, it's an instant recognition of who he is, and it's very intimate. I don't want to preach the... I don't want to preach the, the Lord's Prayer this morning. We do that another time. But, but you get the picture. Our Father who's in heaven establishing where the reign is, who, who He is, above all the fathers that might be, this is the one I'm talking to. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed, holy is your name. It's a good recognition. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth in the same manner that is now being done and will be done in heaven. We bring it here. Now, does everyone understand the dependence in that? I don't have anything to tell you. I have nothing to give you. I pray for, prayed for a number of people this week for, because of conditions and situations and things in their life. Prayed with them. But I know when I'm praying, I have absolutely nothing to give them. All I can do is deliver what has been given to me. I'm dependent. See, will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day... Our daily bread. Lord, we are dependent on you for this day. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those that trespass against us. The, 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 it's the language of dependency. It's the language of childhood. We are dependent. Some of you remember when, when um, you know, it's been a while back, when Frank did the, remember his doll? Frank's one of the few adult males. In, this, uh, in our church that plays regularly with dolls when he does his DTI. But do you remember this? He's the example where he said you know, how welcome we are, we're how glad we are to have you here and talk, talk to the baby and then say, now, you know, the, the food's in the kitchen in there. You know, be careful when you use the stove. The stuff in the fridge, clean clothes, we'll see you. Now, of course, the illustration was that's often what we do in the church. When someone arrives, we say, boy, we're so glad to have you here, but yet there is no means which to care for. People come into the kingdom of God. Do you understand how dependent? Do you remember how dependent you were? You were, you were breathing new air. You needed something new. Something had been born in you that had never been there before, and you were in a foreign land. And you needed something. And so the responsibility comes to us as the church to recognize that part of the, of, of the child-likeness is that we have to care for those that come to us. Where, wherever we find them, we need to care for them at the place that they are and not the place we would suppose them to be. But there's a provision for that. But the wonderful thing about this is how many of you have learned that the dependency goes on? And the more dependent you become 
on him, the less crutches you have in your life. Have you noticed that? That was one of the things that, you know, well, Christianity is a crutch. I have had the experience now for many, many years. It seems to me like all God does is kick the crutches out from underneath me. Get me to a point of saying, okay, it's time for you to start walking now. And I have to move. But I find, I find my need is in Him. This is the true status of everyone who enters the kingdom of God. It's one of total dependence, and that never stops. We were, we were independent before Jesus came into our lives. How many of you knew that? Uh, we pray. We need to remember and pray for, um, for our, our couple, Corey and Aaron. They're having the triplets. Erin's in the hospital. She started to have contractions, um, and those babies can't come yet. They, we, we have some weeks. We've, we've already fought a battle like this recently with little Erin, and don't forget to continue to pray. It seems like we've got something going on against, aimed at our children. And, uh, and so we continue to pray for Erin and continue to pray for her. They don't know she may be there for the duration, you know, three babies that's a that's a lot and so we were, we're in praying how dependent you know this this dependence so keep keep praying anyway we live you know what when, when we come into the kingdom of heaven it like I said it's it's brand new territory for us we we've never been here before now here's what I, I have come to believe that we are better suited to living in the kingdom of God than we are living in this world that God built us to live in the kingdom. He did not build us to live in the world. That's why we break down. That's why the world doesn't always work. That's why, why the world, the flesh, and the devil wreak havoc in our lives is because we are not equipped in that kingdom, yet that's the kingdom we have our trust in. The kingdom of God comes along when I embrace Jesus. I, his story becomes my story. He died on the cross for me. And I embrace that story. And he deposits in my life something eternal. It's not like, like I said earlier where the guy says, I just learned a whole bunch of new thou shalt nots. But something of his nature, the Holy Spirit's presence, is planted now in my life. And according to Scripture, I come alive. And that part in me that is is best made to inform me of what the kingdom of God is supposed to be comes alive in me and now I began to have conversation with God life-giving conversation I begin to change but the good news is I am finally living in the environment I was originally created to inhabit in the first place this is the better way but I have to learn it because I'm so, I'm so immersed and so connected with that. And so the whole dependence thing, God gave it. He gave it in childhood to teach us that we will never stop being dependent. And I've found the older that I've gotten and the more mature my faith has gotten, the more dependent I am in Him and the healthier I am. How does that work? But that's the way, that's the way it is. I want to keep going here. Um, I was reading, how many of you managed to keep up in your Luke readings? Should be on the 19th, the 19th chapter of Luke, is that right? Yesterday's reading was great, the 18th. Uh, I, can't, I better not get started there. It talks about those who trust in themselves. And, but let's go, let us go on. 
lest I digress. Number two here, trusting. The joy of believing what I'm told. This is one of those marks of, of childlikeness that, that um, a child generally will believe what they are told. How many of you know that, that until they are taught not to trust, a child will believe what he or she is told? And they will do what he or she is asked. We, we teach them to not trust, you know, that to get suspicious. See, um, confidence is usually lost over time in, in the human experience. And then it has to be restored. This is part of the reason why um, early experiences are so vital, why they're so critical, why we spend the time and energy we do ministering to our children, why you spend the time that you do as parents watching after your kids. Those early experiences are vital. Some of you that didn't have such good experiences growing up can be the first ones to stand up and say amen there's a lot to overcome it's like you get to run the race but you have to start back there behind the starting line and I have to make up all this ground before I even get in you know well we we want it to be different but here's this thing, this, this issue of, of trusting. Trust is just, it's the belief in, in a reliability. It's, it's that I, I'm confident that, that, I, that it's going to be strong, it's going to be true, it's going to be dependable. See, um, for us as Christians, what we, learn to, to, uh, what, what we learn to do is trust in the character of God. We sang a song this morning about say, just saying God is good. I heard somebody say um, very recently who kind of um, defied that. They said, how can it be this way when children are dying? And, you know, I mean, these are hard questions. These are the tensions. But I've never known a situation where God wasn't invited into it where I didn't find him to be good. Now, I say that because I've learn to trust in the character of God. God's character is steadfast. It doesn't change. That ought to comfort everybody. That ought to bring some sense of square, being square with him. He does not change. I learn to trust his character. It, it, I mean, you do the same thing with the people around you, don't you? Do you have people in your life that you just learn what they say is not necessarily so, could be so, but not necessarily? What are you really talking about? You're talking about their character. You've learned over time that, that I can't entrust certain things to them because they will not hold them with the same value and honor that I do. And so you find yourself a little more cautious around them. Am I? But hopefully, you've got somebody in your life, and if you're married, it's the person you're married to or if you're not married that you have a good friend someplace that you know I could give them anything of mine and it would never be repeated it would never be dishonored it was it would never be exaggerated it would never be used against me hope every, hope, hopefully everybody's got somebody in their life what are we talking about we're talking about that person's character and how they relate to me do you know why I can believe God's Word is true because I believe in God's character. What he says is so 
because he only says it out of who he is. Everybody got that? How many of you wish you only spoke out of who you really were rather than who you wish you were? God never does that. See, I learned to trust because I find him to be trustworthy. His character does not change. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Um, I, I read um, or heard this story. There's a priest, and I think his name was Callahan, Catholic priest, who was kind of not sure where his life. He was out of seminary. He had, had done some ministry and work, and he didn't know exactly what he wanted to do. And so he, he went, he, he t- writes the story about going to Calcutta, and for a, a lengthy period of time, he joined Mother Teresa in the ministry that was going on there, hoping that somehow the serving the poor would, would begin to bring some understanding. And he tells this story about praying early one morning before the day really had begun. He was in the chapel, and he was praying. And as he was praying, a hand touched him on, on the shoulder. And he turned around and looked, and it was Mother Teresa. And Mother Teresa uh, asked, how, how can I pray for you this morning and he said well what I want what I'm praying for he says I want clarity I want clarity for the future I want clarity for what comes next I just want clarity and he wrote this he said mother Teresa said to him I won't pray for that said I've been doing what I've been doing for 33 years and I have never had clarity what I have been given is trust I will pray that you learn to trust God. I love that story. It's a wonderful story because I want all the answers. I want everything to be spelled out. You know, for a child, it doesn't work that way. You tell them certain things or so, and there's this acceptance. You know? There's there's a a belief that you're the the authority. How many of you read Pickles? Yeah. I love the relationship between the grandfather and, and the little boy, Nelson. And the grandfather's just constantly telling him these stories. And, and the, the child is in the, always in process of trying to figure out which ones are real. We don't really want to be that, do we? See, what God tells me is so, and it's, and it's held up over time. I've been doing this thing for a lot of years, and I have never, ever found God untrustworthy I have wondered sometimes why he's done what he's done or how the way that he did it because he didn't do it my prescribed way how many of you tried to get God to do things your way does everyone understand you often get your results hallelujah that's exactly what I wanted uh, you know I want to be I want to be in control see no you don't you want him to be in control uh, this this scripture, if you ever buy a, a hat or anything from silver, uh, and, uh, silver and Blue in the mall, and it's, it's generated by them, if you look inside, those people are, are believers, and they, they have this reference, uh, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways... What does all mean? Ah, okay. I am speaking to geniuses this morning. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. Okay? Trust. 
it grows. We want to build this ability to help people trust. Number three, demanding. <laughs> this one may be more childish than it is childlike, but there is a, a God thing in demanding. And demanding, when it's done in cooperation with God's perfect will, does everyone understand how well that works? Sometimes it shows up like the gift of faith. When I speak it, I know certain things. It's not me imagining or me wanting things to, to go my way. This is when I begin to understand I am in sync with what God is doing. And when I make demands, I'm not demanding God do what I want. I'm just, I'm just demanding that, this, that, that my prayer, that, that my word becomes life and becomes reality for a need. See, so it changes. But with children, with babies, I mean, they want what they want, and they want it now. Uh, they expect to get it from you. Out of their hunger, they begin to cry. The cry gets a response, and I begin to learn about control. Huh, your children learn about control. They want to control their world because at, in, in the child's world, they are the center of it. How many of you know these adults? And their world is, has them as the sun. And all the other planets have to, have to move around them and their stuff and they can't figure out why in the world you don't want to play in their imagined reality. Do you know people who create a reality and then expect you to live in it with them? Never works out, does it? I mean, how did your reality work out? Just, just asking. See, you know these, you know this. See, this is, this is a child trying to learn how to get control of what's going on around him. He's the sinner. So we cater it to, because they're helpless. This is the way it ought to be in the kingdom of God. Those that come in, we want to help them. I sometimes, and you sometimes, have to be Jesus for people because they don't yet have the understanding of, of the depth of trust that they can have. So we help them. We don't substitute for him, but we stand in for him for a while, always moving people. The idea is always to move them in and move them to him. Anybody that collects people to themselves is going to have problems personality cults that exist in America's in America Christianity I see less of it now than I used to hallelujah but but that the, the personality cults where people are drawn to a potent powerful imaginative personality and they are stuck there because they never are able to see past them to the Jesus I'm supposed to be leading you to see I want to have a relationship with you but I don't want your your relationship to be with me I want you to have your relationship with him. And so I become conduit. I become a way that helps you. So this is the way we want with children. We want to move them along because they're trying to learn to get control of their lives. And is this what they do? They, they, they learn how to roll over. First couple times, it's an accident, right? And then they begin to learn they can control it by doing certain types of body movements. It gets this result. I was on my back and now I'm on my stomach. It turns into crawling. You know, they start to find that they can kind of m motivate. It just cracks me up the different styles of crawling. You know, when you see all these little kids around here and they're learning, look, he's crawling. That's not really a craw crawl. It's kind of a scoot, you know. I had one little kid one time who used to go sideways. <laughs> you know, there was a crab somewhere in the past. It, uh, you know, it's, it's just, I, but it's, it's trying, it's learning to control. 
It's really wonderful when, when they kind of get that bow thing down. You know what I mean? <laughs> I like that one. Um, we enjoy it because that's about the same time they start eating um, adult food and you just really uh, don't want that stuff to correspond. You know, they're just a whole thing of trying to get control. My wife will make eye contact with me just now. <laughs> we'll, we'll make eye contact later. But isn't it? But the, but the, lie, the lie remains that if, if I if that becomes something that continues on through life, that I still expect everybody to cater to my whims. See, that's not, you know, that's not what we want. We don't want the demanding. We want the demanding to mature. We want it to grow into a relationship, a cooperation with, with God. This is why we need to trust under the Holy Spirit's direction. You know, um, we learn to take control of our lives and our feelings and our needs, our emotions, which, which even as believers sometimes get a hold of us and they become more powerful than what God's trying to say to us. I become more enamored with my emotion than I do with what he's trying to, what he's trying to communicate to me. And it's, a, it's, it's God gave us our emotions as in, information highways we learn about our world and how to react to it and it should react to us God does that but isn't it wonderful folks how many of you know what I'm talking about when those emotions begin to come under the direction of the Holy Spirit and begin to inform me I look at Jesus's life Jesus got emotional a few times you know he got emotional he broke down over Jerusalem and began to weep he wept at Lazarus grave not because Lazarus had died because after all this time they still didn't get who he was who Jesus was but but they were in line with what he was doing let's do the next one teachable we're getting there it's in a child's nature to learn the whole world becomes a classroom it's like keep a child from learning you know most kids you can lock them up in a, in a dark room and they would still figure something out. They, they're made to learn. God created us to learn. It, it's in our nature. Um, the kingdom, in the kingdom, we begin the same way and it should never stop. When we stop being teachable and we think we know it all, that's when we stop becoming like little children. This is one of those things. One of the things I did when I was on my sabbatical, and I was telling about reading, going back through the Gospels. What I was, one of the things I was trying to do was, God, would you just teach me stuff that I think I already know? Would you just visit places that I think I've got these scriptures nailed down and I know what they mean and, and I know how to apply them and what they've meant in my life. Would you just take those things all over again and as I read this, would you kind of make it a new book? And I was surprised at how much my understanding of, of a lot of things I, you know, began to change. I told you I was reading the, the parables of Jesus again here a few weeks ago. I'm still doing it, actually. I haven't been, had a lot of time the last couple of weeks. But, but how those things are spinning in my head and putting me in a whole new direction. And I thought, I thought I knew what that meant. See, here's, here's the thing. Sometimes teachability comes in the form of correctability. Do you hear me? I mean, like really clearly. (laughs) 
See, teachability isn't necessarily about hearing it for the first time. This is part of the problem with what's going on in our world because Christian teaching has become so prevalent. You can get piles of it. There's lots of teaching out there right now. There just doesn't seem to be a lot of application. Just saying, Pastor Arnold. No. See, sometimes my teachability, when I'm being taught, in order to remain teachable, I have to stay correctable. And correctability is an element in humility. Anybody that's not teachable is not humble. And that will keep you in hot water. I have to be corrected. I recently made the statement. One of the, another thing that really happened while I was in the, my time of sabbatical was I, I felt like God spoke to me very plainly. I've told you about this. And I, I felt like he was directing me and saying, saying, you know, what you have to offer is that you are the vineyard. There's a life here that, that already I, I've had some interesting, with all this interchanging with all these pastors, I've had the most interesting conversations with pastors who don't want to know how I do it because, you know, they're probably doing it better than me. But they're wanting to know how I see it because this, there's interest in the kingdom. There's interest in how does this work, and this is a place where we've been for a long time. I'm having these great conversations. I'm having coffee or having lunch with a pastor this week. I'm a different resource and a different group to talk. You see, I need to stay correctable. What was happening yesterday in that meeting that was so wonderful is that everybody had opened themselves back up. They had stepped away from denominational positives and, and unbendables and they had said I will step across the line and we will be brothers and sisters in Christ that was correctability that's part of why that was such a wonderful gathering yesterday is because people saw themselves in this new life you need to be correctable um, um, my dad used to talk about majoring in minors you know when you go to college you have to get a major that's your major degree but then you have minors these are things you study and you've taken a lump of study, not enough to get the major, but enough to get them. I don't know how many minors my wife has. How many, how many minors do you have? She has a pile of them. She could teach you almost anything. And I had like the minimum. See, but, but what my dad would talk about, he said so, so often we get so enamored with the minors that we forget we have a major. The major is the kingdom of heaven. I have to stay flexible. I have to have a head that's still absorbing truth because frankly, folks, I know this is going to surprise you. I don't know everything yet. I know. You're surprised. Maybe even shocked. There is so much I don't know and there's so much I need to know. There's so much I want to know because I don't, I don't know how to get you where you need to be. He knows that. But I want to provide the best possible vehicle for you to get on and ride and find yourself arriving at the appointed destination because Jesus finally became Lord. We can't do that if we do not stay teachable. 
I became so positive of what God wanted to do here that, that I, I, I've said a couple of times, I don't need anybody else to tell me where we are going. But I really do need your advice to help me get there. You see what I don't see. You live a place I don't live. You, you relate to people I don't relate to. You understand the world. You differently. You're out there amongst them. And I, and I need to hear. I need to know. It's got to come from the great. So the, the teachability. Um, let's read the scripture in Matthew 18 uh, quickly here. At, the time, at that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who, is, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called a little child to him, set him in the midst of them, and said, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted. That's a great word. Unless you are converted and become as a little child, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself, remember, correctability is a, is a part of being humble. Whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me. I, I don't have time to spend on that. I, I wish I did. This is that. Um, this is the teachability. I have one more clip I want to show you here. You've, you, hopefully you've seen this, but I love this. It's, it's a Volkswagen ad, and you love it. The, the teachability. I want to dim the lights here. Find it. All right. Another one, just like that. Right in the old bucket. Good toss. See, that's much better. That was good. You had your shoulder pointed. You kept your eyes on your target. Let's do it again. Watch me. Just like that one. I love that ad. But it, it's a great illustration, isn't it? Yeah. That, that you're going to learn what you're taught, especially when you're a child. So you want to teach it as right as we possibly can. And in order for that to happen, I have to stay teachable. I have to keep my heart clear. I want to give you one more here. I'm going to just jump here to the generosity. I, this came to me a couple of several Sundays ago. Um, I was out front because children also be very stingy. But I was out front, and little Jackson is, little Jackson Kitchen is toddling around in here. What's Jackson, a year and a half? And he's got a little Dixie cup in his hand, and it's got goldfish in it, you know, the cracker kind. And I said, hey, Jackson, how you doing? What you got there? And he walked over to me, and he reaches in, and he pulls out goldfish, and he hands them to me. So I took them. I pretended to eat them. <laughs> and then he reaches in, and he, he saw that I had eaten them, and he reached in and pulled out some more and gave, them, gave me some more. And I thought, okay, God, I think you're you trying to say something to me. See, Generosity is a mark of the Creator. Everything He did, He did in a generous way. He, he held nothing back. And see, a child does not understand yet that if he gives something away, he no, long, he no longer has it for himself. See where I'm going here? See, he cries and new stuff shows up. It's just like magic. And so they give it away. They haven't learned to be attached to their stuff. Okay? Like the stuff in your wallet. They're happy to bless you with what blesses them 
with little thought of themselves. It, wasn't a, it didn't occur to him yet. He's not, he's not sophisticated yet enough to understand that if he gave me his goldfish, he wouldn't have goldfish to eat. And, and I'm here to tell you that boy loves to eat. He's a machine. If you've ever been around him at dinner time, you turn your back and it's gone. He gave, he gave me what he had. He didn't understand the concept that if I ate it, he couldn't. See, the, generation, the, or the generosity of God, the, the, the mark of God is, one of the marks of God is generosity. A mark of the kingdom of God is generosity. It just is. It's, it's giving. It's giving it away. Um, did I give you the scripture, Matthew 6, 19? I think I did. See, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where the thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, neither thieves do break in and steal, but where the, your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And in verse 24, that. No one can serve two masters, or either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon, or, or um, um, what's a good word for mammon? Um, money, yeah, money and the things that money will do. It's, it's, it's not saying Jesus never said that money was evil. He just said our attachment to it created a problem. Because if we are attached to it, it means that we are not attached in other places. You got it? The child doesn't understand that yet. See, one of the marks, see, as time goes by, um, children learn to become more territorial and possessive. We teach them that. See, how many of you had to teach that child that would hand you goldfish and not think anything about it. How have you later on had to teach them to share? <laughs> Some of the human nature. You explain it to me. Um, see, in the beginning it just seems to be natural, but as time goes by, possessiveness, jealousy, defensiveness, all begin to do their work and even gratitude has to be taught. Generosity is the mark of God, just like it's the mark of the kingdom of God. For us, generosity is a mark of obedience and growth. If you are not giving, you will soon find yourself not receiving. You cannot tell me that you are a mature believer and you have not learned how to disconnect yourself from your stuff. In other words, you've learned to give. You cannot. I, I'm just here, folks. I don't know how else to tell you this. Well, let me tell you this way. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. It will be put into your bosom, but with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. See, one of the marks of being childlike is that you don't let the generosity of God go to waste. He has been generous with you. We call that salvation. It cost him everything. But for you, it's free. But don't assume that free means not being generous. One of the marks of maturity is your ability to give as God begins to demand. 
and it becomes a joy. My mother was a giver. My mother saved to give. And she gave all over the place. She gave in her time. She gave in her energy. But she loved giving money away. And if she could give it secretly, so much the better. There's folks like that in this church. And she, I remember her talking um, when she had a reduction in, in her income. And what was, she was so sorry was that she would have less to give. Not that she had less to live on. That didn't seem to bother her at all, but that she had less to give. And then she got this job. She went, well, it was really a kind of a stipend thing. She became a, a grandma, you know, the, uh, what do they call them, the foster grandparents at school, and they got a little stipend for it. And she got so excited because you know what that money could, be, could do? My mother was never attached to her stuff. I, I'm here to tell you she, didn't, she ended up with not very much stuff. But she knew where her treasure was. And so in order to hang on to this, and, and not get that didn't make any sense to her so she hung on to that and just turned loose of this and that's the way she lived you can't do it without giving let me just read you we'll finish here and I'm, I will be done I'm over so what's new I want to read to you and this is where we're at in the book I want to read to you what childlikeness looked like in the early church how did it begin to play out in reality? What began to happen? What began to happen to the church when they took the word of Jesus as being the literal lifeblood for this new movement that nobody knew what to do with? Can we have the scripture there, um, Acts 2? Many other words he testified, that's Peter. And he exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. And then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. This is on that day of Pentecost, that very first sermon that was preached. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. They got into one another's lives. They began to pray. Then fear became, came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the... Through the apostles. Does everyone understand when you, be, when you begin to trust Jesus, you begin really to trust him in the details of your life, how many of you have found that, that the quality and the number of your encounters with, ever, with other people begin to rise? That he sees them and he loves them and now he knows he can trust you to see them and so he begins to use you in the encounter. Linda and I got to pray with a little gal. We, we stopped and got a bite to eat and the waitress had overheard her say that she was pregnant and we got to pray for her baby last night at the table. Just one more thing that I've got something I can give away and she was so happy to get the prayer. I have no idea where her faith, faith level was. I got something to give away. Could I give it to you? See, that's what was happening here. Fear came on every soul and many signs and wonders were being done through the apostles. And now all who believed were together. I can't think of a better word than together. And had all things in common. And they sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord. What's that? I, I saw some of it yesterday. How? <laughs> wow, great. Accord in the temple. They broke bread from house to house. They were in each other's house. They were in each other's lives. They knew their kids. Knew their moms and dads. They knew the details. You know, 
They, they knew what they did for a living. They were in one another's lives. They broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. No wonder they were being added to daily. These people in, their, in the childlike approach to a kingdom that had now come and become theirs that was superior to every other system that the world had ever offered began to become the most attractive group of people in Jerusalem. And people were coming daily. There's one other scripture in Acts 4, a little bit down, farther down the road. And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked, for all who were, who were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet, and they distributed to each as everyone had need. See what childlike, childlike starts meeting needs. Childlike starts offering opportunity. Childlike gets you healed, teach you what dependency on God, what trust in Him means, what being able to demand, working on the promises in the here and now and cooperating, the teachability, the generosity, all of those things become the mark of the kingdom of God and I get to play. I am in, I am on this playground, being a part of what God has called the church to. I don't know why we're not bursting at the seams. People just say, I just want to be a part of what God is doing in this world. And that's all. I, I, don't, I don't have the details. I don't have it all. But I do know a few things he's up to and what he wants to do here. We, as John Wimber said many, many times, everybody gets to play. We're all in this thing together. Let's stand. Do it. We're going to do it like children. I was going to go and get a whole bunch of balloons for you each to take a balloon home. Um, I thought better of it. Just as a mark of the remembrance of this sermon. Balloons and kids. But just a reminder, we don't want to be, we really don't want to be childish, though sometimes we were borderline. But the childlike nature of a, of a person completely dependent who recognizes their dependency and quits trying to be the answer to everything, quits having every solution. And, you know, I read a book once and now I know. I listened to so-and-so and, and now I've got this do take, five steps to maturity in Christ. Okay, I hope you were able to do it in five steps. But how many of you know those, those books? They help. They just don't get it. This is an ongoing process of a relationship with a living God who cares a lot more about you than you've ever cared about Him. And He wants to be in your life. That's the reality of the kingdom of heaven. And so we invite you as we worship here, we invite you. We'll close here after we sing and worship for a few moments. But it's a prayer. God, return us to that childlike nature. Let's. You know, one of the things I didn't include but was in my list, children somehow find a way to have fun. There's a lot of churches where we just flat forgotten what that's like. Fun? I rebuke you in Jesus' name. You know, it's not possible. 
that I could actually enjoy my service time, that I could enjoy being with you and you could, you could enjoy being with me. That, that we could find this thing to be not just recreational, but the life-giving, teaching kind of fun that kids seem to have the ability to do. Enjoy ourselves again in the presence of God. Let's sing and worship and we'll close her up. We're on our knees. We're on our knees. 
Hosanna is an interesting word because it's both a praise and a prayer. It means literally, Lord, save us or Lord, save. It's a request. But it's also a recognition. This is where the praise comes in because what it, what it means is nobody else can do this for us. We, I read it this morning in my Luke reading as he's coming in on the donkey and they're, they're laying down their garments and, and Luke doesn't say this but it says it in the other gospels that the palm leaves, what we call it Palm Sunday laying it down before him as they would a king an, honorary, uh, an honorable person and laying it down and they're quoting from Psalms they're saying Lord save us Lord bring salvation now this morning I could easily say for whatever it is you need to be saved into and, and maybe saved from this is a really good word to know. <laughs> Lord, Hosanna, save me. If you need physical, if you need physical prayer this morning, we would love to pray for you. God is healing people around here. It just no good explanation, just the kingdom's coming. People are getting well. Maybe it's a, another kind of a need, but I can say, Hosanna, Lord, you're still the solution. You're still, it still comes from you. That's dependence. Lord, save. But we can all say, Lord, save us from our, our sophistication and from our all-knowing attitude that somehow I have been so well informed and so well taught, I don't need to be told another thing. You understand that if it's not being applied in your life, you don't know it, no matter how much you've got stuffed in your head. Sorry, hate to disappoint you. Have it in your head is not good enough. We're talking about the application. It would be better that you took a few things and applied them like that child trying to learn, gain control over their body to learn how to walk, to get it all right, the balance and the steps and the, everything else. You'd be a lot better off to be applying a few things and learning to take a few steps than you would to have all of the sophisticated programs available. You know, what I have discovered and what I believe with all my heart, no matter how we work all of this out and whatever th means we get it done, nothing will substitute for the presence of God. I need Him. And no matter how stupid my sermon may sound or, or how ridiculous it might become, 
it doesn't all matter all that much if he shows up. I want to preach sense and, and tell the truth, but I need the presence of God more than anything else. You need the presence of God more than anything else. So as we close this prayer, if you need ministry, there are people here, lots of people know how to pray. And they'll know how to pray for you. Wherever, whatever your need is, however you arrived, if you've been here forever and you need prayer, or you come for the first time and you need prayer, it's all the same in the kingdom. Don't leave here without having a touch from a king who really cares and can really make a difference. His is really the superior kingdom. And we want to apply that. Heavenly Father, let us be like little children. Let us be converted. Lord, we need to be changed. We are that, and now we need to be this. Lord, the this that you have determined we should be. So, Lord, we open our hearts and our minds to you again. Lord, life with you is good because you are a good God. I don't know how to say it any simpler than that. You are a good God. Lord, so much we're like the kids in the kindergarten in the clip. We're out of control. We're, we're childish. But Lord, you call us back into a place of dependency, a place of trust, a place of generosity, a place, Lord, where we can learn to demand, a, a, a place, Lord, where we can give and be teachable and respond and, Lord, maybe teach in, in response. Help us, Father, to be that people that just, we grow up into you taking joy in the simplest move of God, the simplest word, the simpler, simplest application because you showed up. We can't trick you, God, by trying to be too smart. We can't trick you with knowing fancy words and deep, a deep theology. Lord, we can't trick you with any of that. That has its place. It has its, it its help and assistance. But Lord, we just really need to have business done with you. Nothing else is going to make much sense in eternity. And so God, we bless this people today. Let us be a little more childlike in the way we approach you and one another. We thank you, Lord, for mercies beyond our comprehension in this day and provision. We thank you for it all, Lord, in Jesus' name.